Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. I am delighted today to be with a couple of recruiters from Recruiting Offense Providence, Rhode Island. They're going to tell you about themselves, why they joined the Coast Guard. They all come from different rates. So we have a PA, an MST, and a bosun's mate all here today. And how they ended up navigating their careers to where they became a recruiter and tell you about some of the opportunities, if you're interested in joining the Coast Guard, that you can take advantage of right now. So my first guest is PA2 Mizala, and she's been in the Coast Guard roughly eight years. So without further ado, here is PA2. So I've actually been in for about 12 years, but I've been a PA for eight years. Okay, so you've been in the Coast Guard total 12 years. How long were you a non-rate for? I was actually a non-rate for a very long time. Uh, at the time, my wait was about four years. So to get my na- I got my name on the list right pretty much immediately. And then it took about three and a half years for my name to come up. And, and then by the time I graduated A school, I was hitting my four-year mark. So is the PA, it's a pretty slow-moving A school process just because what's what's it like to be, be on the PA A school list as compared to maybe another rate? That... Um, I mean, right now I think it's a little bit faster. Um, back when I went through, it was, it was a longer wait for sure. Um, I was at an ATON unit though, so I mean, I, it was shore-based, but we did... We worked on lighthouses and stuff like that, and I had pretty much the same kind of non-rate job that I mean, most other non-rates have. One of the ant stations? Yep, the ace navigation. So I worked on lighthouses, buoys. Um, and where was this out of? Uh, Wisconsin. Okay, so ant, Wisconsin. It was or Kenosha, ant- Wisconsin. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yep. Okay, and what sparked your interest to join the Coast Guard initially? So whenever I was younger, my dad was in the Coast Guard, so I was already kind of familiar with it. And so I really just wanted to get out of the town that I was living in. And it was like the best way to do it. And your father was what rate? He was an MK. Okay, so your father was an MK. So did you do a lot of traveling growing up for his uh, PCS moves? And By the time he was finishing up, we were kind of settled in one area. So I wouldn't say that we did a lot of traveling uh, when I was little, but um, he did. I was born in Iowa when he was in the Coast Guard, and then he settled in Texas. Okay, so he might have been one of the river tenders out there? He was. Okay. And then you end up joining the Coast Guard, and you take the different path, you want to become a PA. Did you know pretty early on you wanted to be a PA, or was it almost you decided as you were in the Coast Guard and fell in love with that rate? So I, I joined knowing that I wanted to be a PA, and for me it was like more of the photography thing. I really loved photography. Um, that is a small part of what we do, but that was what I wanted to do. What are some other things a PA would do? for people interested in knowing. We do videography. We work with the news. We do journalism. We write stories. uh, We produce videos. Okay. And when you end up doing this for, you said you've been PA for eight years, what led you to transition into becoming a recruiter? You're quite recently a recruiter. You've heard this month, so. Brand new, yep. Um, So I think for me, it was wanting to bring, especially more women in. Um, I think diversity is really important, and I wanted to be, um, part of part of that kind of solution. I wanted to get more people like myself in um, and really just try to help the Coast Guard as a whole kind of expand and, and bring in all sorts of different people. And did you have to do any training to become a recruiter? I did. I went to recruiter school. It was about three weeks. And what's the process of becoming a recruiter? So you go to recruiter school, and is that in Cape May? So it used to be. It kind of still is. Right now it's virtual. Um, before I went to recruiter school, I had to submit a package and then be interviewed okay. and be selected. 
Is selection pretty competitive to become a recruiter? It is. It is. I want to say there were close to 100 applicants whenever I put my package in. Okay, I think we had a CS1 on my ship that tried to become a recruiter, and he said also it was very competitive. And yeah. Every year it's one of those things that if you don't get the first one, keep applying for it. Right. I was lucky. So. I got it on my first try. Now, did you have to... if? Do they pick up new recruiters every transfer season so that you'd come to the office in that July window yeah. for transferring? Yep. So you said that you joined uh, the recruiter department to be able to help diversify the Coast Guard, get more women to join the Coast Guard. Uh, I know you haven't had a lot of time here, but what impact are you hoping to make while you're here in order to make those changes that you wanted to make happen? How do you foresee this uh, going about? I mean, for me right now, I think I'm, I'm just focusing on kind of learning the job. But, I mean, the impact I want to make is, is really just being able to, to help diversify the Coast Guard, like I said, and, and try to get more people to join. And, and I guess educating people, because a, a lot of people don't know that the Coast Guard exists still. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I've, I've noticed that like, from this episode. I get so many questions yeah. about what is the Coast Guard? Is right. So, I mean, I guess man. getting, like, showing face, getting out there and, and helping people realize who we are and what we do. Do you plan on doing a lot of school visits in the upcoming school year? I do. The community? I do, yep. Okay. How would you go about when, when you go to a school and you're recruiting someone? Are you much more of a person that would like people to come to you? So maybe you give an announcement, hey, if anyone's joining the Coast Guard, come find me in the guidance counselor's office. Or would you rather be able to tell people all the cool things the Coast Guard does, maybe in an assembly-type environment? Probably walk around the school a lot, too, to try to, try to talk to people. Right, one-on-one conversations, because I know a lot from my previous high school experience, we had Army and Navy recruiters come. No one from the Coast Guard came to talk to us. Right. So just showing face, I think, would make a big impact mm-hmm. on the future recruitment of right. people around you and just maybe places that might not be as familiar with the maritime community, some more inland communities as well. Right. It'd be a good tool for you to use. But mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing where you come from in this career as you progress in it. I'd like to have you back on to a full PA episode at sure. some point, if possible. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for giving us your perspective on what it's like to just report as a recruiting person. Yeah, brand new. <laughs> you're <laughs> trying to figure it out. <laughs> fresh, fresh off the boat, yeah, <laughs> so to <absolutely>. speak. So <laughs> it's nice to get that fresh perspective as the most recent. We appreciate you coming out, and uh, thank you. Have a good day. Right, thanks. So we're also joined with MST2 Sandoval, who is a recruiter at Recruiting Station Providence as well. So without further ado, here's MST2. Hello, my name is Chelsea Sandoval. Um, I was born and raised in San Diego, California. I joined at the age of 24, so it took me a little bit longer to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was recruited out of San Diego. And then I knew, you asked Jasmine earlier if she already knew what she wanted to do. Um, I was the same. As soon as my recruiter told me about the MST job, I knew that was the perfect fit for me. And I never wavered from it. I also had a similar long non-rate time. Um, MSTs have a notorious long A school wait list. Right now, I think all the A schools are really short, but yeah, in comparison, um, but my wait was uh, two and a half years. So I was a non-rate for two and a half years and then went to Yorktown to A school and then got stationed in Corpus Christi, Texas. And I was at an air station sector and yeah and then i was doing mst stuff for the past five years and um i always liked the idea of recruiting i volunteered for a lot of recruiting events when i was at sector just because i liked doing that 
I like talking to people. I like going to schools. And then when I realized it was an actual job that I could get, like as an E5, then I I applied for it. And it, it was pretty intense. I didn't realize that it was going to be as intense as it was. It's like you write a narrative. You, I think you submit your marks. You submit your marks. And then you have an interview. Um, mine was virtual. And then, yeah, you kind of get like... <laughs> Not grilled by any means, but, you know, what would make you a good recruiter? Why do you want to be a recruiter? That sort of deal. And then, yeah, got selected. And Providence, was, the East Coast was really high up on my list. And so I, I got it. And now I'm here. Well, I'd like to start out with getting back to the start of your career. So you said you joined at 24. Mm-hmm. I also joined at 24. So and later in my career, <laughs> yeah. this time as well. What led you to want to join the Coast Guard after thinking about what you want to do for a few years. What were some things that attracted you when you were prospectively looking at what you'd like to do for a career that made you interested in the Coast Guard, just to relate to someone who's considering it now? Yeah, so I actually don't come from like a military background. It was more of, well, I guess kind of because my cousin was in the Coast Guard. We weren't super close by any means, but he would always post pictures. He was stationed in San Francisco. And he would always post pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge from the 87. And I was like, what do you do <laughs> all, like, all day long? And he was like, I'm on this 87. We just basically patrol around and it's really cool. And I have a great work schedule. So then that kind of piqued my interest. I was a nanny at the time. So I had no experience in maritime, law enforcement, search and rescue, military, none of that. So then I talked to the recruiter and he said that you don't have to have any experience, that they send you to technical school and we teach you how to coast guard by going to boot camp. And so that was kind of, that's what got the ball rolling. And I think if it was a different job, like MST was really the only job that really stuck out to me. It was exactly in line with what I wanted to be doing in my civilian life, but I didn't have a degree and I didn't really have any connections to know how to even start to do environmental work. And uh, so it was just like that perfect combo of needing to hear the information and then the recruiter gave told me what I wanted to hear so I was also attracted for the same reasons is that you know MST as you're well aware is has a lot of public relations with the community mm-hmm. so it was a very community-based rate discovering stuff you learn your CFRs and going through those mm-hmm. so CFRs are a code of federal regulations uh, almost like lawyer lawyer type books that are published for a wide variety of maritime purposes, not just maritime, but transportation purposes. And the CFRs cover a big portion of what MSTs are guided by in their doctrine, along with a bunch of other manuals and documents. Mm-hmm. But that was something I found interesting that when what was, you know, told to me by my recruiter was like basically the pollution response side of it was like, oh, when there's an oil spill, you got to clean it up and you save all the animals and you make the world a better place and blah, blah, blah. So that was what attracted me. But actually being in the MST job, I thought it was really cool. We do a lot of law and we have to, um, we're basically investigators. So if you're the first person on the scene of a pollution spill, you're taking oil samples, you're, you know, basically just being that investigator to figure out who done it kind of. So those were kind of cool parts that I didn't really realize until I was in the actual job. And then another part of the job that I found that I absolutely loved was the foreign cargo vessel inspections. Mm -hmm. You get to meet crew members from all over the world. And I thought that was just such a really cool opportunity to kind of bridge some gaps of like 
certain cultures and certain crews with different nationalities. Like we're all working together, telling each other about our lives, telling each other about where we grew up, sharing a cup of coffee together. It was just a really cool experience that I didn't know I was going to enjoy. And that actually ended up being my favorite part. Well, you can see such a wide variety of vessels in that between very, very old ships and these brand new state-of-the-art ships. Oh, yeah. And you go all the way up the line. Maybe you have a cruise ship one day, then you have an oil tanker. And mm-hmm. you're in Texas, you got a lot of oil tankers and chemical ships. Yeah. Maybe an LNG comes into port. Yeah, we Corpus Christi is um, they the facility Chenier came online while I was there, and that's like the biggest LNG facility in the area so that was really um exciting to get to learn about all that because for years it was oh you know in the future lng in the future lng and then all of a sudden it was there and we were (laughs) learning about it and inspecting these lng vessels really cool stuff those were some of the most high-tech like brand new ships those lng boats are really like top notch so you're starting to see ships run on lng rather than fuel yeah right Mm -hmm. so that's what they were always telling us is that you have the ships that carry the LNG, but mm-hmm. then there's the ships that now run powered on LNG. Yeah. So there's no fuel pollution issue whatsoever. If there was to be an incident where it'd spill, LNG, of course, is a gas. It dissipates yeah. in the air. It doesn't yeah. spill in the water. There's no oil cleanup, no animals or habitats at risk. Mm-hmm. So For the most part, depending on <laughs> how, how big the spill is. But yeah, for sure. Do you feel it's a safer form of fuel? Without We're digressing pretty yeah. hard. <laughs> we're going far into the MST hole. We can do an MST episode. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Think. We'll save it then. Uh, yeah. All right. So we'll get back to recruitment for this episode. Okay, great. So when you decided to become a recruiter, knowing this, that you would be leaving your rate for a few years, what are the motivational factors? You said that you knew that you went to schools and volunteered a lot as an MST. And you enjoy helping out and just telling people what the Coast Guard is about, mm-hmm. informing them. When you decided to make that jump to be a recruiter, were you taking a risk leaving your rate for a few years in terms of not staying pace with your years in the Coast Guard? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of difficult to be out of rate for four years. And then MST also is a notoriously hard to hard rate to advance in. But I think... My priority is really to, like, do something new and get out of my comfort zone, and I, like, change, so it was, like, a change of pace. I believe that, like, towards the end of my recruiting um, time, that it's going to be up to me to, like, get back on track and try to make first, and then just do the hard work, which I'm willing to put in, you know? So, I'm not really worried about being out of rate for four years, it'll just mean I have to work a little bit harder once I'm back in the field. But my priority is really letting people know about the opportunities that the Coast Guard has, because I think that was my life has been changed for the better in a, in a multitude of different ways. Buying a home, going to college, getting to travel around the U.S., um, meeting new people, just all these benefits that I feel like people need to know, like young people especially. Growing up in San Diego, it was like a really fun and beautiful place to live, but owning a home was never attainable (laughs) Uh, (laughs) unless you're in the Coast Guard. (laughs) Yeah, like unless you're in the Coast Guard and you're getting a housing allowance to pay for it, which I was not. So, um, yeah, it was like I needed to do something drastic to better my trajectory, and the Coast Guard did it for me. So, I just wanted to make sure. People know about that. And I think what Jasmine said earlier, too, diversifying the the Coast Guard. Any organization should represent 
you know, the people it serves. So I think females, people of color, you know, diversifying the Coast Guard should be really a main priority for everybody. Right. And so given when you joined the Coast Guard, it was roughly eight years ago? Uh, Nine years, yes. Okay. So nine years ago, you joined the Coast Guard. At that time, speaking to a lot of people on my ship, it was very tough to get in. There was waiting time to get into the Coast Guard. They were turning people away, doing higher tenures. Mm -hmm. The Coast Guard is basically full. Mm-hmm. And having that competitiveness to get in and recruiters potentially turning people away mm-hmm. if they didn't meet the strict standards of the Coast Guard, I know those standards carried on until 2015 when I first got recruited to join the Coast Guard mm-hmm. was they basically, they told me, if you're not interested, you can walk out. We don't need you. Yeah. But it seems that in 2022, the environment's changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. I can't exactly put a finger on what it is, mm-hmm. but I feel that a lot less people know exactly the benefits they could take a part of yeah. by joining the military as compared to, yes, maybe that civilian job has the di- higher dollar figure an hour in mm-hmm. salary workers in the Coast Guard. But what would you like if you were telling people that didn't know about all the opportunities of the Coast Guard, what are some major things that you could tell them that they would appreciate knowing? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that sometimes people look at like, oh, well, this job's going to pay me $25 an hour. What they're not taking into account is rent, cost of living, medical insurance. So that was something I think a lot of young people don't, I don't want to say they don't care, but they're not really interested. And if you say, oh, the medical insurance is phenomenal, like they're like, okay, cool. This Uh, is not something you have to think about when you're so young. Yeah, and and retirement too. It's like people, when you're 17, you're not worried about retirement you're worried about okay can i travel can i go to hawaii (laughs) can i drive fast boats and so that sort of thing like the the if you did the dollar to dollar amount of like what you take home at the end of the month the coast guard will blow most jobs out of the water like the medical insurance and your housing allowance pay that either pays for your rent or your mortgage or whatever your situation is or just providing housing we have a really good friend of ours who lives in navy housing everything is covered, you know, and it's like, that's something that's really scary for a lot of people right now. Some really young people have to worry about it. But mostly it's like, when you get to be 22, 23, when you've been out of high school for a couple years, and you realize your job isn't really going how you wanted it to go, or maybe you started college and you don't like it, or it's really expensive as it Mm -hmm. is, (laughs) you know, those kinds of benefits are the things that I think really sell people today is paying for college, you can get your college paid for while you're in the Coast Guard with tuition assistance, and then you get college paid for when you get out of the Coast Guard using your GI Bill. Right, because tuition assistance covers 4500 a year now. Yeah, it fluctuates price. with the the budget. So sometimes it's a little bit lower, sometimes it's a little bit higher. And yeah, and that covers like roughly four to five classes a year. I currently use tuition assistance, and I'm a huge advocate for even if you aren't really interested in school or getting a degree, use the benefits. Because, you know, the Coast Guard is going to use you for their mission, like use it back, use all the tuition assistance, the medical insurance. Like I know for sure when I was a nanny, I didn't have medical insurance. And I think there was a small gap where I was like, just got off my parents. And then being a nanny didn't provide me with medical insurance. And I was like, I can't go to the doctor, <laughs> you know, like I can't do anything. Um, so well, you put your health on hold because yeah, you just, you it's can't like I got a weird pain in my foot, through. but like, I'm not going to go to the doctor because I don't want to pay for it. 
you know, and then when you join the Coast Guard, it's like the medical is just there. It's already set up for you. Like it already, you already have a doctor assigned to you. You already have a facility. And I mean, I've had at my last unit, they offered LASIK surgery, you know, like it's, there's just like so many benefits that people don't even really realize. Well, I'd like to chime in here also. And I'll say I've had concussions and I've had hypothermia and I'm a pretty accident prone person and <laughs> joined the Coast Guard, but both times in those situations, I was taken to the hospital and they did a full medical exam on me. And after they said I was clear to go, I just walked out. There was no several thousand dollar bill yeah, in like process. Yeah, like settle your bill. <laughs> <laughs> There's no worries about that. Yeah. And when you start adding up things like that, and then we get into housing, you look at how bad housing, houses are going off the market within 14 days of going up right now as of this recording. Yeah. And- there's no time really as a civilian to find a house, you know, trying to make ends meet and mm-hmm. stuff. So combine the medical and the housing alone and add that to your salary employee position. Mm-hmm. So you get paid regardless if you have a three-day week, maybe a holiday routine, just have rolling 72s for yeah. a week. You're still getting that same fixed pay. And that pay goes up every year when Congress does their budget realignment to adjust for inflation. Mm-hmm. And... They also give you a raise every two years. Uh, yeah. So every two years in your career, you get pay raises. So just the fact alone, not even considering the jobs and technical skills you gain, the Coast Guard's benefits take pretty good care of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's another thing that I like to tell people is about the joint service transcript. Like the job you do in the Coast Guard also ticks off college courses. So you can get 50% to a bachelor's degree without ever stepping foot into a classroom. When I, I did a very short stint at a community college, and so I knocked out a couple of my general education classes, but I realized very quickly that I was working 10-hour days as a nanny, going to school for four hours at night, only making enough money to pay for my gas to get to and from my job and to school. So I dropped out immediately, and it I started using... Like I did the joint service transcript and started using tuition assistance about five years ago. And I have only four classes left until I get my bachelor's. And I've only used tuition assistance for, I think it's six courses. Everything else, like my qualifications as an MST, just consistently knock off my environmental courses I'm taking for my degree. So like that's another thing, kind of getting into back into the weeds again. But um, like something that I feel like is super... Um, beneficial for people that want to get a degree so when you're saying that you're almost finished with your degree did you tie it into your coast guard rating as mst for the environmental side stuff yep so my degree is in environmental management and just graduating technical school alone ticked off a bunch of those courses so now it's all like the upper graduate classes that are the really hard ones that i waited till the end to do but yeah any qualification you get all your certifications you know you submit them through your through the jst and then it just starts ticking off boxes your lambs course that you have to take in the coast guard uh i believe it's like leadership classes that it ticks off yeah just really like really cool stuff (laughs) Well, also that allows you to get that technical experience. So you see a lot of resumes. You just graduated college and they say, well, what practical experience do you have? Yeah, none. (laughs) You have that conundrum where it's like you get pushed so hard in high school to go to college. The counselors are always pushing people to go to college. Mm -hmm. And then you go to school for four years, you get out, and they say, okay, what's your technical background experience when you're competing against these people that do have that background experience? Mm -hmm. 
so the Coast Guard kind of alleviates that issue, of course. Yeah, Because yeah. you get such practical experience in the Ray, and you get a lot of responsibility on your shoulders in the Coast Guard really early on mm-hmm. in your career. So we'll just even talk when you were non-Ray. How much responsibility did you gain as a non-re alone with um, all your quals? I actually just had, I was talking to an applicant today about how I went from being a nanny to being like boarding team member qualified and how I like got pepper sprayed in the face and I had to carry a weapon and I was like doing these law enforcement boardings, um, which thinking like if I were to have told my younger self that I would be doing that, I wouldn't have believed it. And the fact like as an, MST, well, as an on-rate, you get a lot of um, responsibility, but even as a brand new petty officer, I was explaining to someone earlier that you're working directly with captains of the port, with high-ranking officers, you're briefing captains, you're briefing the CO of sector um, about this ship that came in, or, you know, like all these crazy things that, again, if I would have told my younger self that I was going to be doing these things, I just wouldn't have believed it. And that's across the board for the Coast Guard. We have, you know, like our saying, like, do more with less. We have all of our junior members are given the utmost respect and responsibility because we have to. We don't have enough people to say, okay, you guys like don't really have to do much. And then these other guys are going to work really hard. It's like, no, everybody has to work hard from the beginning and get the training done to be able to complete the mission. Right. And I think that's the important thing to, you know, stress to people is that you're not going to be able to come in here and take forever in order to be able to get the footage they're going to be starting to expect stuff from you Mm -hmm. as you go in yeah and you will get prepared for that we have a very nice boot camp program that gets you in that military baron mindset and then you get out of boot camp you go to your first unit and everyone there at least at my unit i know is very helpful Mm and helped me get qualified because it benefits them and me yeah for sure so we're a family and a community as a whole and that's the important thing to realize I think now what I would ask you, MST2, is that why do you think recruitment is the way it is currently right now with all these benefits? And do you think it's lack of knowledge more than anything else of what we do or is it a change um, in environment? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a changing environment. I think COVID had a big effect on people. I don't want to say not wanting to work, but like now hiring is so competitive that companies will say like, yeah, we'll bring you on for $25 an hour. And somebody who doesn't have the experience will say, will see the $25 an hour and think that's a great job, but not realizing it could be temporary, they're not providing any benefits, you don't get any time off, you know, you don't get paid sick days or whatever. So I think it's like a little bit of lack of knowledge. And I think also just every branch is struggling with recruitment. And it's funny, like our numbers, I just read an article that said the army is down 40,000 people. And I'm like, the Coast Guard only has like what is it, like 50,000 people in the Coast Guard? Like, right. <laughs> so it's funny to see their numbers compared to ours. It's like, oh, we're down 2,000 people. But it's, you know, I think it's a changing environment. I think there's not as much um, willingness to serve. Another thing that somebody brought up to me um, that I hadn't really thought about before is that that big patriotic push after 9-11, those people are all retiring now. Right. Those people are retired or going to be retiring soon. Um, so we have a big gap like a big influx of people retiring and not a huge influx of people coming in. So it's kind of getting unbalanced. In those higher positions, they're going to want to keep. So then the people in yeah. just get promoted. Yeah, those they higher promote positions. There's a whole at the very bottom gap yep. issue. Yep. And I think it's, I don't want to blame COVID 100% because I think it's like the environment as a whole, but COVID really kind of put a big pause on things. 
specifically in recruiting, it kept us from going into schools. It kept us from going Mm -hmm. to events. Um, When you do go to events, it's hard to connect with someone if you can't see their full face. You know, and I I appreciate masks because I don't want to go into a school and get sick or get someone sick, but it also loses the sense of like connection kind of. But yeah, now things are picking back up. Like our office specifically, we have an influx of numbers recently and we are getting back out there to events like any, you know, baseball games, high school events, sporting events, even like festivals, parades, all those things. Those are coming back. So it's helping a lot. Yeah. And I think it's just we're in a lull right now, but I really do feel optimistic about things getting back rolling and then getting enough people to join to where we're back in a good place. Right, because we have an increase in fleet growing, then we're just producing more ships. Admiral yeah. Schultz, I remember he yeah. did a news interview a couple months back where he said that we have all these new cutters that are new class of cutter coming mm-hmm. out and more more of the Red Hall fleet with the Arctic opening up. Yep. So they need more people for those ships yeah. too. So yeah. I remember also in boot camp that my class was a reduced size because COVID times mm-hmm. and then they put it back up and then they reduced it again. So hopefully now they'll be able to take that influx because there was even a bus back in March that didn't go because they didn't have enough people nationwide. Yeah. And that was the first time that happened in a long time. So with that specifically, like we have enough people interested in the Coast Guard. I have a list of 30 people that want to join the Coast Guard, but the medical qualifications kind of bring it back to what you were talking about earlier. Is it like really hard to join? And are we saying like, we don't need you. We need everybody right now, but the medical standards are still there. So it's like if you have a current diagnosis of something that immediately could disqualify somebody. Sometimes we can work on those things. Sometimes it's like a timeline issue. But for the most part, the medical standards are still very strict. But we have age waivers. We have ASVAB score waivers. We're, we're doing things where we can to make it easier to join. And I think right now, if you can get medically qualified will send you to boot camp. Like as long as you have a clean criminal background, uh, you can go to boot camp. It's getting medically qualified. That's the difficult part. Right. I remember I had uh, asthma when I was five years old Mm -hmm. and they had me go through almost a year of medical in order to get to boot camp to prove I don't have asthma anymore. I ran cross country in Uh high school. I'm good to go. And Mm -hmm. it's just getting cleared with the whole MEPS processing that's very difficult. And it can be frustrating, too. Um, Sometimes you have people that move around a lot and they're like, I don't even remember the doctor I went to. How do Mm -hmm. I even begin to get my medical record? Or their practice sold or the the company sold the practice to a different company and purged all the records. So they don't have any records or just a case of like, oh, I got a concussion, but I didn't go to my follow up appointment. So now they're going to disqualify you for having a concussion because they can't really prove that you don't have any lasting effects from it. So just weird, intricate things like that, that make it difficult. But if the applicant is willing to put in the work, like, so are we. I have people that I've been working with for a year now. Actually, today is my one year of being a recruiter. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, and so it's like, you know, if, if the applicant is willing to do the legwork to get their medical records, we'll do the legwork to put in waivers and try and figure out a way to get them in. Some things are not, you know, negotiable, but... For the most part, like, we'll do the work if you're willing to do the work. So the opportunities are there. It's just it's just getting a little bit more difficult with the medical standards. 
Well, just so that people can take advantage of those opportunities that are there still, what incentives are out there right now? And there's a couple bonuses for a couple rates Mm -hmm. currently and guaranteed districts are a potential thing. Yep. So um, the incentives change all the time. So we say like there are incentives and there are bonuses. Um, Currently, there's bonuses for culinary specialists. That's kind of the standard. There's kind of always a bonus for culinary operations specialists, electricians mate. What's the other one? ET. Yeah, so we have bonuses for some of the rates, and then... Electronics technician. Yep, electronics technician, and then you can do guaranteed district, like you said, and then we have some guaranteed A schools. But right now, like we said earlier, the A school waiting lists are at, like, record lows, so even if you can't get a guaranteed A school, you're going to be going, very, like, quicker than ever. <laughs> I'll, I'll say I'll say this to that, is that MST to Sandoval says you wait two and a half years to go to MST A school. I know I've talked to MSTs the previous couple of years before then that had to wait four years to mm-hmm. a full tour as a non-rate to go back. Now, me, I just put my name on the list in November. I'm likely going in January, so like only over, awesome. a little yeah. over a year. Yeah. So this is for one of the longest rates in the Coast Guard. Everything else now, you can shrink that. Storekeepers, only six to nine months now. Yeoman, zero to three months. Those are historically very long rates. Even aviation rates, AMT, AET. So if you will be an aviation person... That used to take years to get into. Now only a little over a year if you're waiting to get on that list to go to school now. It's quite yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's a good time. To... It's a good time to try and get in the Coast Guard if you want to. I uh, I guess I would ask at this point then, what would you recommend to a service member? Because I have a lot of Coasties who listen to my podcast. Mm-hmm. What would you ask of them to help with recruitment numbers and just showing face, getting out in your communities? Mm-hmm. So the big thing that we recommend is volunteering. I think making, there's kind of a stigma attached to recruiting, almost like, I don't want to offend anybody, but like car salesmen, you know, like they'll say anything to like get the deal. Um, We pride ourselves on not being that way, but there is still that stereotype of like, oh, they're going to harass me. They're going to be really pushy. They're going to offer things that they can't back up. Um, So we recommend people making genuine connections, like don't go into a high school and say, I'm a recruiter, let me in. It's not going to work. And for good reason, they don't want strangers walking on their campus trying to mm-hmm. talk to the kids on, at Especially school. Especially um, Yeah, so it's like make genuine connections. If your kid is on a baseball team and the team after them is a 18 and up league, stay and chat with them. Tell them about the Coast Guard. Wear Coast Guard gear out and about. I know for sure pretty much any time I leave the house, I'm wearing Coast Guard stuff. <laughs> trying to make genuine conversations. People ask me about the Coast Guard. I don't instantly go into a sales pitch, you know? Um, so people that are active, or not even just active duty, but people that are in the Coast Guard, just volunteer, make genuine connections. And then also what we don't want people to do is to be like, oh, I can get you $40,000 to be a culinary specialist. It's like, yes, that is a bonus if you have a degree in culinary, but like, don't promise things to people that we are going to have to tell them, no, we can't actually do that. Yeah, it does. It reinforces the stigma that we're going to tell you whatever to get you to sign the papers and then not follow up on it. But yeah, volunteering, helping with events. I know Senior Chief always is pushing for volunteers for events. We have liaisons established already, but like anybody that wants to help, just reach out to someone in our office and we can set you up with the events for the next month and then you can pick and choose what you want to go to. There's very little commitment involved if you want to help. Like, you don't have to say, okay, I'll come to every event that you do. It's like, we're not asking that. <laughs> Just 
be there if you can. So yeah, low, low commitment on their end. But yeah, just make genuine connections. Tell, I know it's like everybody keeps on saying it, like tell your best day in the Coast Guard. Like that's going to sell somebody more than saying like, oh, there's a record low A school weights and I can get you guaranteed district. Like you can say how the Coast Guard changed your life or the best day in the Coast Guard and then relate it to them. Like if they love the environment, maybe don't go into like how you're a firearms expert, you know, say I have a friend who does environmental work in the Coast Guard. Just kind of relating to people on a genuine level. I think that's great advice because there's so many times where, you know, there's only so many review recruiters that so many people see us in our Coast Guard gear or they see their bows and mates walking down the street at all the small community small boat stations. Mm -hmm. And they're very keen and interested as to what we do because so many people just don't know. Mm -hmm. And there's that lack of knowing that it's really the coolest thing to them is just being able to hear about what we do because they may have not even heard of what the Coast Guard is. Mm -hmm. I know many people in the middle of the country that don't even know who we (laughs) exist. Coast Guard recruiting is largely based on just pure educating. Mm -hmm. We're never going to compete with the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force on a recruiter-to-recruiter scale. From a job perspective of recruiting, we see ourselves more as headhunters slash community involvement people mm-hmm. because we don't have the numbers. Like there's a, this is an office of four people that covers an entire state and then Cape Cod and Eastern Connecticut. We're not going to know every guidance counselor in every high school. And they're not going to have that intimate connection relationship with us. So we strive to have as many good relationships as we possibly can. And then again, like the whole operational side of the Coast Guard, all the other coasties that aren't technically recruiters, yeah, that's what we really ask for. Like community involvement, everybody is essentially a recruiter in the eyes of Joe Smith public. They just want to know. Right, anyone who wears the blue every day. Yeah. Yes. The, to the outsider, they don't know what you particularly do, but right. you represent the Coast Guard mm-hmm. that moment to that person in the uniform. And for us, like, you know, our motto being always ready, like, every unit we talk to, like, I'd say, like, there's, like, three most important things that I suggest having. But, like, the most important thing, like, if somebody's like, well, who do I talk to? That's the worst time not to know who your local recruiter is Mm -hmm. because you have this person that is legitimately interested in our organization. And now our motto always ready is like, oh, let me direct you to GoCoastGuard.com. Like, no, like know who your recruiters are. We all carry a cell phone at this point. Like anybody, Mm -hmm. you have free reign to call us whenever you want and just say, hey, just to make sure this is a good phone number to get in contact with you, I'm going to save you in my phone just in case the situation arises. If somebody comes up and says, like, who should I talk to? I got the perfect person to talk to, talk to you about, mm-hmm. the Coast Guard. Here you go. Shared info. Boom. It's, well, it's, it's easy as that. I just I think that would be so helpful for people just to have that quick connection because, you know, in the moment, they're, they're really, they want to speak to someone and hear about what is the service I'm legitimately interested in. Mm-hmm. And that's that key moment is to be able to guide them in the right direction. 
life marches on. If you don't essentially strike while the iron's hot, like, yeah, there's a really good chance that that person just moves on. Right? I think that's one of the, as a recruiter, our biggest complaint is like the process isn't ever fast enough because now life as we know it happens instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And we're, we do our best, I think, Chelsea, we try to keep up and make the process as quick as we possibly can for the applicant, for the person interested in the Coast Guard. Anywhere we can make that process a little bit quicker is a benefit. Yeah, Absolutely. I think sometimes like a lot of people, I know I used to do it too, is when people had questions, I would say on GoCoastGuard.com, you click on the little active duty link or you click on the officer link. And as soon as you tell them to do that, they walk away, they don't do it. And then that is done. <laughs> like they're not interested anymore. So I think having like, oh, I have a recruiter friend or, oh, I have an MST friend or a bosun mate friend or whatever the case, give them our number. That's what it's for. <laughs> so you all would personally recommend that I get to a new unit. So I go to MSTA school, stations MST3 in San Francisco, California. Find out who my recruiters are. Make relations with them. Then if someone asks me, I can refer them to the recruiter. Absolutely. Yep. Easy. Right. So I guess I would recommend if you're a COSI listening, I would do that absolutely 100%. I would get in touch with who your recruiters are, know who they are on a first or on a name basis. So you can refer them, any interested applicant, to that recruiter while the iron's heart, as Senior Chief Monahan said, because there is a limited time window in this society. Things are so instantaneous. There's so many things being thrown at our minds that it can go just as quickly as it came. I guess I'd like to wrap this episode up by asking, do either of you have any departing remarks to interested applicants? I would say if you're thinking about it, something that we offer is we do unit visits also. So if I have somebody who says, oh, I'm interested in HS, what what does HS do? I don't know. (laughs) So what I do is I network and I find an HS that's willing to talk to me. I ask them a couple questions. I say, hey, would you be willing to answer these same questions to an applicant? I actually just set up, I have one girl interested in HS and I set up a one-on-one tour and question session with the HS at Joint Base Cape Cod. So it's like, if you're interested in something, we can make it, it happen and we can get you the information. I don't know what every single job in the Coast Guard is doing. Like, I don't know what an MK does on a cutter as opposed to at a small boat station, as opposed to like a damage controlman or, you know, those, I don't know all of that stuff in and out. So I just reach out to people. I, I think that's absolutely awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've like made that. so many friends as a recruiter. I'm <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> want to chat for a second? <laughs> Can I ask you 5 million questions? And everybody always says, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's working. That's awesome to hear. I, I think that's a really good opportunity to let people be able to shadow because physically seeing, and this is to everyone who's interested, is take those opportunities seriously is that if you have interest in any rate, go shadow before making that commitment. It's a heavy commitment to join. Mm-hmm. You're committing a lot of years, a lot of time, and you're becoming part of the mission. And so if you have a rate that interests you, I would go shadow all the rates that interest you. Yeah, There's no time is on your side. 
while you're in the recruiting process. Definitely take the time to shadow those raids, especially ones you might not find on every cutter. I know we don't have a lot of raids on the buoy tender that someone might be interested in on a white hull might have. So take advantage if you end up joining. You don't see an MST on your cutter. Go TDY for a week with them. See what they do on a week-to-week basis. Go do some inspections with them. You don't have a gunner's mate on there? Go TDY with a gunner's mate. Mm-hmm. And to the recruit prospective recruit, ask if you can get clearance to go shadow them. Go on a week-long underway voyage with a Whitehall, maybe one of the 87s or the 110s. And just use every advantage you possibly can. And it will really make a big difference and shape your career in a good way. Yeah, the only thing I would add to honor it in regards to the maybe the future applicants that are listening to this and are thinking about joining the Coast Guard, make sure you're fully educated on all the other branches of service. And in my personal opinion, you will find yourself back to the Coast Guard because A, we have the best mission to sell. Money talks, but mission walks. Like we are in every little piece of action, environmentally speaking, uh, combat speaking, uh, enforcement, law enforcement, saving lives. Like you can really do it all in the Coast Guard, but sometimes it takes the person to do the initial reach out. So if you're thinking about making the call, make the call, follow up, hit the recruiter up multiple times. Like you said, to use your own words, like people are listening to this all over the place. If you can't get a hold of a recruiter, I'm telling you, you have my permission to call me whenever you want and say, hey, I'm interested in the Coast Guard. And this office will help you. Might not be the next day. I promise you, we are definitely going to give you your five minutes and talk about how the Coast Guard can, you know, best you. My my good friend Tony Martinez has a saying that you have not yet uh, achieved your finest hour. Well, I like I, I tweak that as you haven't achieved your finest hour yet. Let us help you do it in the service. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, like it's we have a lot of stuff on our plate all the time. It definitely helps when you have an active, engaged applicant that's, you know, keeps being that little annoying, like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Mm -hmm. When we get, when we have squeaky wheels, like, they get a lot of attention. So if this is something that you want to do, like, we're we're all for it and we'll help you. We'll, We'll get you in. I, I can second that completely. I, w- I was a squeaky wheel. With <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. I, I thank MST2 Barnaby up in uh, sector northern New England every time. And MK1 Michael Madden for oh, answered all my questions. I had many questions. So don't be afraid to ask any questions. The worst question is the one you didn't ask. Correct. And so I fully 100% agree with that. Just I want to thank you both for uh, being here today and uh, assistant with the uh, podcast on recruitment. I know a lot of people don't necessarily know everything we covered, and so it was really nice to be able to fill them in because, you know, there are a lot of prospective recruit listening to this. And like Senior Chief said, 
if anyone needs to call or get a hold of him because they can't get a hold of a local recruiter, you can look up Recruitment Offense, Providence, Rhode Island. And the recruitment staff here will gladly help you. They're all very great people, and they very much want to see you succeed in your career goals as well. 401-714-5384. That's the number. <laughs> Make it ring. And he will answer. Well, I can't guarantee he'll answer, but if he doesn't answer, he will get back to you because <laughs> he's probably busy with another recruit. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening today. And I'd really appreciate being able to get these guys on to do their individual episodes on their rates because they have so much knowledge and the ability to cover so much stuff. So we'll hopefully be able to have them on here to talk in future episodes about MST in Bozen, Spain. <laughs> so thank you very much for everyone who tuned in today, and we look forward to hearing you on the next episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Have a great day.